Hey there. Hello. So uh, yesterday I was on the way to get some delicious Whataburger. Ugh, I had some Whataburger recently too. It was fantastic, as always. It has to be. This was bre- I'm, I'm a fan of their breakfast taquitos. Oh, I don't know if I've ever had them. Do you do breakfast there ever? Or like, Are you just like a honey butter chicken biscuit crew? No, um, I guess I just never do breakfast there. That's always oh. a, a dinner for me. So they're very, I mean, they're very American, but like they're, they're delicious, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, uh, anyway, that was the main point. The main point was <laughs> on the way, like my usual radio stations are doing bullshit like weekend stuff and my car sucks. Mm. So I, I just have the radio. That's it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I heard this song on the country station, some other, some different country station than the kind of slightly weird one that I kind of like. Mm-hmm. And they were playing a song that I uh, took note of the lyrics of. Okay. And was just like, this is uh, such an American song. <laughs> Please tell me. The two lines that stuck out to me were like kind of the end of the chorus sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The singer was singing about, you know, a girl mm-hmm. saying, girl, your love is money. <laughs> okay. Can make a man feel rich on minimum wage. Okay. That sounds like it's a shitty love. And then, like, the rest of the, you know, I was like, what the fuck? This is, because it was just very annoying. And Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a song about how this woman makes him feel, uh, equating all the good feelings to money in some way. It sounds like he's in a, an abusive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, the great thing about this is I was sitting there in the car thinking, well, I'm just being elitist about this. Like, this is actually just mm-hmm. kind of a working class aspiration to the things that are out side of the the reach of you know common people mm-hmm. but this was sung by and you know obviously they don't write their own shit i guess oh, now, yeah, but yeah. like this was sung by blake shelton who i'm oh god I'm that certain guy. this man has never <laughs> done minimum wage work no. since like minimum wage was actually you know pegged to a good <laughs> a good price to like raise a family or something jesus it was just singing about this love that he had that was it was like money. <laughs> that's so gross. Like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Someone said that to me. I'm like, what? Like, no. <laughs> that's our culture, man. Oh, that's some straight up, like, Uncle Scrooge shit. <laughs> <laughs> Your love is like $1 million. Ugh, gross. Yeah, starting us out on a high note here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where are we going today? All right, so we are revisiting Ireland. Nice. Yeah, last time we uh, talked about the kind of origins of revolutionary, like Republican socialism Mm -hmm. in Ireland. Talking about uh, the movement to break Ireland away from the United Kingdom and also do so to establish an independent socialist Republic of Ireland. Yeah, okay. I was a really bad student and did not listen to our previous episode. But if you want to be a good student, you can go listen to that. And that is episode 40, if you want to go back and listen to that. It's advised. We're basically picking up where we left off. Again, just like then, we were we were focused on looking at Ireland as a and the movement of Republican socialism there as an anti-imperialist force. Just basically against imperialism, because as leftist right, we should be supporting Mm -hmm. struggles for national liberation, struggles against imperialist aggression and occupation. Basically, where people are fighting against empire, 
that's good. We can, yeah. you know, nitpick the fine points and be like, oh, do this better, whatever. But <laughs> we should be on that side. Makes sense. We'll cover the brief history of Irish Republican socialism from the Easter Rising, like at, from after, I guess, the Easter Rising to modern times. Okay. Uh, and like there's tons here that we could cover that we just like will not. So please don't feel too bad if we don't get into your favorite topic of discussion. We're going to be covering really broad strokes. Great. Well, you don't have to worry about hurting my feelings because I don't know anything. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For, for <laughs> listeners. Um, and within that, we're going to focus mainly on the anti-imperialist, the kind of national liberation aspect of the conflict. And within that, we're focusing more on the role of leftism and Republican socialism. Okay. Sounds good. Take me away. All right. So last time, like you said, uh, the brief recap, we really focused on the Easter Rising. Mm -hmm. uh, was kind of uh, an abortive revolution, an attempt to break free of the United Kingdom, but it was crushed. I mean, brutally, you know, yeah. and they executed a lot of people. We talked about James Connolly's role in that and his brutal execution at the end of that. Was this the one that only lasted like nine days or something? Yes, it was very brief. Okay, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And th what that leads to is the election of 1918. Okay, because okay. Easter Rising was in 1916. And mm, the context here is that the moderate party, the Irish Parliamentary Party, the IPP, mm -hmm. had been telling everybody like, look, just like be a good British citizen, help <laughs> out in the war, the big war going on, World War One." Oh, yeah. <laughs> Play by the rules. And, you know, they'll be nice. They're going to grant us home rule. Maybe they'll eventually grant us independence. But the Easter Rising kind of showed people, uh, no. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, they will brutally crush any expression you have of trying to be free. Uh, they will treat you as common criminals. They will execute you. They will occupy your homeland. And uh, people got mad about that. Yeah, understandably so. The British never got around to, they claimed, oh yeah, we're going to do home rule. But then World War One happened and they were like, ah, I mean, you know, we, we're, we're going to wait. Yeah. So that didn't work. So these guys were basically discredited. Yeah. At yeah. that point. It's like, we fucking tried it. Didn't yeah. work. The moderate Republicans were just like, nope. And by, okay. you know, of course, Americans, we are meaning a, again, by Republican, we're meaning like they want a republic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But Sinn Féin. Yes, I remember those guys. Yeah, these were, they kind of started out as this kind of strange, like, yeah, monarchist sort of party, but they wanted like a dual monarchy, like we want to be our separate thing, but oh, allied yeah, with them. yeah, That's how they started. But by this point, um, they, by the Easter Rising, which they did not do. Yeah, didn't they end up getting like a lot of the credit though? Yes, that's right. They end up getting kind of blamed for it initially, then <laughs> credit for it. They just get pinned with it. A lot of people are at the time Weird. are calling it the Sinn Féin Rising. Weird. They also get credit for stopping the British from doing conscription. Mm, okay. During World War One, they had done a lot of agitation, a lot of general strikes and stuff. So they actually did that one. They did that part. Well, good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they get super popular. And they promise in the election manifesto, for the election of 1918, that they would refuse their seats in British Parliament if they're elected, and instead they would make their own parliament. They would uh, declare independence. Nice. So they promised that, and in the next general election in 1918, they win in a landslide. Fuck, that's cool. 73 of 105 seats. 
That's so many. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah, this is actually the last election of where the whole island of Ireland voted. Interesting. Okay. Like in the same election, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sinn Fein followed through on their promise, and <laughs> instead of going to Westminster Parliament in England, they meet and they create their own parliament called the Doyle Aaron. Okay. And it's actually kind of interesting. 33 of them could not attend uh, because they were in prison. They, Whoops. Not, yeah. But that's kind of cool. They won from in prison. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Didn't there's someone else that did that? Uh, like a. This was like in our Socialist Parties episode, I think. Yeah, he didn't win, but Eugene Debs got a lot of votes. He got a prison. lot of votes, which yeah. is great. So they set up the Doll Aaron, and it's January 21st, 1919, that they meet and they declare independence. Okay. They Basically what they do is they ratify the Easter Rising's proclamation. Oh, nice. I liked that proclamation. Yeah, where they were like, we're free. We're doing our own thing now. We're cool. And they effectively become independent. Nice. They also passed something called the Democratic Program. Okay. Which outlined a broadly socialist platform of public ownership of the means of production. Great. That's like a very good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most people don't go to that level. Yeah. Uh, public ownership of the means of production of natural resources and wealth. Public education. Great. Public health care. Nice. And elder care. And public addressing of food insecurity. What year is this again? 1919. Guys. More than 100 years ago. <laughs> wow, this is some galaxy brain shit. Yep. Obviously, the British didn't like that. <laughs> no. Mainly for the independence part. I guess they could yeah. give fuck all if they did. They probably the other didn't things. like that either. I mean, sure, but it wasn't them. You know, it was just yeah. some Irish people having to deal with that horridness. From their perspective. <laughs> and this kicks off the War of Independence. Mm, okay. Yeah. And to, to kind of intro that, I want to talk a little bit about the IRA. All right. I've heard of these guys. I hear they blow things up. That's the only thing I know. All right. Uh, so let's talk about <laughs> what they do. That's part of their repertoire. Okay. The IRA, the Irish Republican Army, mm -hmm. they arose from the Irish Volunteers, which we mentioned okay. in our previous uh ireland episode yeah they started in 1913 as kind of a response to the ulster volunteers in the argument about home rule so like okay. both sides were kind of raising their own volunteer yeah. forces that sort of thing okay cool uh they had kind of briefly ceased to exist because so many of them got jailed after the rising but they kind of get reestablished in 1917 they are separate but like alongside the Sinn Féin party okay some of them are members of both. For example, the president of both organizations <laughs> uh, was an interesting fellow by the name of Eamon de Valera. Okay. Uh, who we'll mention as we go along. Okay. So he was president of both? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're different. But <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Like, I'll have to check with the president. <laughs> <laughs> he says no. <laughs> All right. So they declare independence. The... Irish volunteers have kind of reestablished and started growing again. And it's on the same day that the Dahl Aaron declares independence mm -hmm. that an event goes down called the Salahed Beg ambush. All right. What is that? This is an attack by the IRA or the volunteers. Their name kind of gradually goes from volunteers to the IRA Okay. Uh, over time. 
by some members of the IRA. It's supposed to not really be like uh, like they were given orders. They just kind of hauled off and did this. Okay. Uh, but what they did was they attacked some this convoy, this British convoy that had some explosives. Ooh, okay. And they kill two uh, British Royal Irish Constabulary Troops, the RIC. These Royal mm. Irish Constabulary Troops, so they work for the British. Yeah. But they're from Ireland. Ugh, okay. Some dicks. Yeah. Uh, they killed these two guys in the process. And there's conflicting accounts. Like, it seems from what I read that, like, they didn't intend to, but it happened. Mm, because this yeah. one guy says that, but then later, like, 30 years down the line, he's like, nah, man, we intended to. I would have <laughs> killed more of them if I could have. So, like, I think they probably didn't mean to That's based funny. on his account. Anyway, it still happens, and they rob these explosives, uh, and the British declare a special military area, you know, and it's just like martial law, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so this kind of kicks off the War of Independence. Oh, fuck. It's, you know, it's kind of wild, because it was just sort of a, a random other thing, like... Yeah, I'm sure it would have, like, happened for another reason, though. You know, like, the British people, they were not happy about this, so, Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. And I mean, they wanted to, they wanted to, the IRA did, like, kick off. Mm, yeah, they were You know, they wanted to get it going, yeah. Okay, cool. And it does get going. Uh, this is kind of a little bit of military history, so I'll just give you some of the highlights. Yeah, yeah, fast forward, 1.5 <laughs> speed. <laughs> uh, so some of the things they do here uh, is they start, they start going and destroying rich people's houses. I love it. My cat also <laughs> loves it. <laughs> The reason was the British would go through and destroy or deface the homes of known Irish nationalists. Mm. Uh, so the IRA were like, two can play at that game and you got a bigger fucking yeah. house. And so they would start targeting what they called in Ireland the big houses, which mm. tended to be the houses of the rich Protestant ascendancy, the loyalists. So Yeah. That continues through the Civil War where it's a little more prominent, but this is where it started. Okay. They also uh, started boycotting and ostracizing uh, members of the RIC, the the British Irish people. So is this one of those, I can't remember what episode this was, it might have been the one before where like, by boycott they just mean like, shun them? Yes. I love that. <laughs> and refuse to do business with them at all. So like, some of these guys were reduced to like, buying shit at the grocery store via gunpoint. Oh my god! Because people would be like, I'm not selling you anything. That is crazy. And so, yeah, recruitment dropped off, resignations soared, morale tanked, because everybody hates them now, you know? Mm -hmm. You also had things called Irish Soviets happening. Okay. Which sounds super cool and is a little cool. It's pretty okay. cool, but it's not as cool as you would think. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound cool. As things started to pop off and, and, and the War of Independence started going, and because you're sitting here in 1919, uh, kind of... You know, not that far removed from the Russian Revolution. Mm -hmm. People started to feel a little more empowered, right? Yeah. And things were still shitty where they worked. I mean, they're working 90-hour weeks. Oh, They've got nice. poor conditions. You know. Yeah. Typical shitty Yeah, it's industrial stuff. age bullshit. Yeah. So they started doing strikes and taking over their workplaces. Nice. And they even started expanding things out to general strikes in Limerick, Knocklong, mm. Waterford, Brewery, Cork Harbor, and elsewhere. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. And what they would do, I mean, it's just, it's a very dramatic general strike, basically, or 
even not even a whole like citywide necessarily, mm-hmm. but sort of an industry or a, or a main employer there because they would take over the place. They would run up a red flag <laughs> onto the place and then uh, declare themselves a Soviet. I mean, this is literally like that video game we played. What was it called? Uh, Tonight We Riot? Yeah. <laughs> like that was the level system was you would run up a red flag at the end. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what they were doing. And, and you know, they were just kind of uh, scaring their employer shitless. Wow. That's insane. It was fairly effective. Uh, they demanded and won improved conditions and pay. And But this is the part where it's not really a Soviet. Is they just like went back to the way things were, you know, afterward. They were like, okay, cool. We'll work for you now. Like, Oh, so all they wanted was pay. They didn't want Yeah, like, they just wanted control. things better. I mean, right. kudos for pulling it off. But yeah, maybe you could have aimed higher. But that's okay. That's okay. We're... I mean, I understand. Yeah, I really won't criticize it too much because, like you said, yeah, sure, yeah, it would be nice to have control too. But hey, you got a yeah. lot of a lot out of it. Yeah, that's just great. by saying like, "What if we go socialist?" <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like, and just the fact that they pulled that off, it's like very threatening. It's like, man, we could always ask for more. So, like, fucking be grateful. Yeah, yeah. So that was one kind of side note that I thought was cool. Yeah. As far as the overall course of the war goes, in the War of Independence, violence, of course, escalated. Mm-hmm. And one event called Bloody Sunday. Heard of that one? Well, you've heard of several of them. This one's Uh-oh. the one that happened in 1920. Why do we have so many of those? It's just, what else do you got to do on a Sunday, you know? <laughs> Go to church, do some murder, take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> the IRA assassinated a bunch of British forces. Mm, okay. They also killed an innocent civilian. They got the wrong room mm. sort of situation. Whoops. He was a landlord, but you shouldn't just like, <laughs> I don't know. The British responded by going to a Gaelic football match and opening fire without warning on the Ooh. spectators and players there. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's, that's escalation. <laughs> yeah. They killed 14 people. They wounded 60. Among the dead were two kids. Uh, of course, the British forces claimed we were fired at. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was just believed, and, uh, you know, they <laughs> didn't face the anything for that. Oh, that's insane. The next year, they had another Bloody Sunday. Wait, they had another one? Another Bloody Sunday. Okay. Protestant loyalist paramilitaries and British police started attacking Catholics in Belfast. Fuck, okay. A hundred people were injured, 28 people killed, thousand people left homeless, this is kind of shortly before the end of the war even, but they're... Wait, how are they left homeless? Do they destroy their houses? They destroyed their houses, yeah. Okay, I guess that'll do it, huh? Yep. Shit. So, overall, a very violent war, as any war is, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of their a whole very, thing. Yeah, calm, peaceful war. No. <laughs> Pretty chill war. They kind of grind themselves into a stalemate. Mm-hmm. And in December 1921, they put together something called the Anglo-Irish Treaty. Okay. And this is after a brief period of like ceasefire or whatever, a truce. And they put together this treaty. It's agreed upon basically by the threat of destruction. Ooh. The British are just like, sign the treaty, man. We can just roll in there with more troops. Yeah. It's also partially because Eamon de Valera, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Double president. Did not go. Oh, okay. Even though he was like, at this point, basically leader of the Republic. Uh, he instead sent his a couple of a few of his subordinates, chief of, among whom was Michael Collins. What the fuck else was he doing? 
Mm, he just was there in Ireland. I mean, he was doing government stuff. I, I guess. guess. Yeah. It's just, this seems very important, but okay. The person who sent Michael Collins, mm-hmm. uh, very brilliant strategist general mm-hmm. uh, guy, not, it's, he was like good at getting along with people like statesmen in that mm-hmm. way, but he wasn't like shrewd political mind. Yeah. Like not a negotiator. Right. Mm. Um, and he goes in there with like Britain's top negotiators and everybody like that yeah. and just, you know, gets fleeced. I mean, sucks. and so they agree to the treaty, which sets up like a provisional government that's going to end up being the Irish free state. Okay. And what this does is it officializes the partition of Ireland. So mm-hmm. dividing Ireland in two, Northern Ireland separate from Ireland, Ireland proper. Yeah. So instead of all 32 counties being in this new mm-hmm. Irish state, it would only be 26 of them. The six northern ones would be in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. Also, it set up this new state as a dominion. Okay. As an autonomous dominion within the British Empire. So like Canada or Mm, Australia today, where they technically have the queen there, like that's what they did to Ireland. Yeah. I don't understand the the point of that. Is that just ceremonial at that point? It is now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the queen can tell Canada what to do. Right, but I think that that, I don't know specifically in the Canadian context, mm-hmm. but I believe that that is oftentimes a gradual process. Mm-hmm. Like you initially, you know, the queen could do something or, you know, the monarch could do things to kind of mm. check you or whatever. And you maintain kind of a close tie with the government, but you can like decide, Dear nah, we don't want to be with you guys. You know, you can kind of Weird. assert more independence, I think. I it think. seems pointless. Uh, I mean, monarchy is pointless, so... I mean, yeah, that too. (laughs) Anyway, the Anglo-Irish Treaty, the the new state also, the parliament members had to swear an oath of allegiance to the king at the time and the commonwealth. Fuck that. So when they take this back to ratify it or to, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, are we going to do this or not? They do agree to it, but it Mm. splits the Sinn Féin party. Oh, okay. So you've got a pro-treaty faction and an anti-treaty faction. Does double president split in half? (laughs) Like he just becomes two people, like an amoeba. Uh, No, he doesn't. Uh, So he had sent his his delegates out there with full negotiating power, but told them, tell me about the treaty before you sign it. Uh Uh-oh. But was unable to be reached conveniently Mm. when that time came. So when they get back, he's like, oh, my gosh, what a terrible treaty. I'm not signing this. But the election, like the next election they have ratifies it. So it doesn't matter that he didn't like it. Oh, that sucks. But people kind of speculate like, oh, he was just kind of posturing so he could be against it later and be more Mm. popular. Yeah. It's mainly because he's a very like scheming person. So everyone thinks pretty much whatever he does, he's scheming. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. He may. I mean, he may be true. (laughs) The split, the pro-treaty faction forms a new party called Cumann na Gael. Okay. Everything that I pronounce is probably bad. Disclaimer. Let's go ahead and do the disclaimer. <laughs> I'm bad at pronouncing these. Some of these things I did research on to try to pronounce them correctly. Mm-hmm. And they're still hard. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll mess them up. But hey, I'll, I'll try. You got a compliment last time from like an actual Irish person. So. Oh, hell yeah. Awesome. I know. <laughs> uh, so that was in 1923. And this begins a long family tree of Sinn Féin descendants. Okay. It looks like this. And Patreon listeners, 
you will get to see. Ooh, look at your little chart. Sinn Féin's up there at the top. Those are very good lines. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, uh, so wait. So these are all organizations that like those are spawn all off of it? or political people? parties that spawned off of Sinn Féin. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, two, three. That's like 15. Six that are still around today. Okay. <laughs> so it's a lot. And, and they later evolve. They kind of merge with some other right-wing groups to become the Fine Gael party. Okay. Right wing still here means bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. I'm yep. like, I'm not missing some context here. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. So that's the pro-treaty party, Kumina Gale, and they become Fine Gael later on. Okay. And then Sinn Féin is about to pop off into many, many babies. Right, because Sinn Féin okay. right now is like, oh, we hate the treaty. Mm-hmm. And Eamon de Valera is the, their leader who's like, yeah, I hate the treaty too. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, this leads... To the end of the War of Independence, but the beginning of the Civil War. Okay. I have a quick question before we dive into this next war. In Mm -hmm. the first war, how did, like, they get to a stalemate? Like, I mean, I get, I guess the treaty was like, hey, we'll just, like, blow your shit up if you say no. Because I'm like, Britain's very powerful military-wise. I'm wondering if, like, part of it was that they had World War II, like, going on, and they're like, guys, we're, we're trying to do something else right now. Can you not? Well, at the time, they had just finished with World War One. Or World War One. Sorry, I meant to say World War One. I know, I know centuries. I know. Yeah, no, work. it was a uh, 1919. So they had they had finished with it. They were war weary, so they weren't probably. They could probably still field enough troops to take out, you know, to, okay. to defeat the military if they weren't. But I do want to emphasize the War of Independence was not so much a conventional stand out in a battlefield war. Mm, There's more bombings and shit, or. It was more bombings, assassinations, like we mentioned mm. with the Bloody Sunday stuff, irregular warfare. They had what were called mm. flying columns, which is very like guerrilla warfare style. Like you'd what go, is that? you'd swoop in real fast, you know, and blam, 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 hit and run. With planes? Not with planes, just with people. You just moved so okay. fast that you were called flying. You know? Oh, okay. I was like, flying whoa. through the countryside sort of thing. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, that was where it's from. And the British basically told them, like, we'll take the gloves off. and Yeah, we'll just fuck you up. Yeah. Okay. Next war, please. Next war, the Civil War. Not everybody agreed with the treaty. Yeah. The Irish Free State was kind of like started to build itself as a nation, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We're brand new. We got to do things. Flag design. (laughs) Yeah. Motto design. Very important. It's difficult. Yeah. (laughs) And so they established the National Army around the... (laughs) <laughs> I don't actually know if they did that at that time or they just kept the old one. That would be my first thing. But that's because I play Animal Crossing too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they established the National Army around the IRA. Okay. And the IRA was kind of in the process of taking over former British barracks around the country. Yeah. And the thing was, some of the IRA, you know, the IRA was also split on this whole treaty issue. Some mm, of them were yeah. against the treaty, too. Yeah. And these guys end up taking over some government buildings in central Dublin called the Four Courts. Okay. Which the Free State was kind of annoyed about, but wasn't going to do anything about it yet. Okay. Like, y'all can just have that building? Well, they just, you know, they didn't really want to pick a fight. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, maybe they'll stop. (laughs) Guys, this is day two. Can we keep it together? (laughs) Right. The problem was that uh, the British especially did not like that. Oh, I bet not. And the IRA assassinated a guy. Mm. named Field Marshal Henry Hughes Wilson. He was an advisor to the 
prime minister of Northern Ireland. And so the British said, get these guys under control. You need to move on the IRA or we're going to invade. Oh, shit. We'll do it ourselves. And so the free state was like, yeah, fine. We got to do it. Oh, no. That sucks. They should have said no. I mean, if they said no, though, the British do come in. I I mean, yeah, but I don't know. Just sucks. But yes, it does suck. I, I, mean, I don't know. There wasn't shitty situation. <laughs> they may should have. They may should have said no. I don't know. They uh, start fighting. I mean, this is a, the yeah. civil war is the anti-treaty versus the pro-treaty sides. So it's the free state versus the anti-treaty rebels. Basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a fairly small-scale war overall. Around seventeen hundred people are killed. That's like very small for a war. I mean, for no offense, yeah. but like, no, yeah. it's. Uh, but eventually, the anti-treaty forces are defeated. They're forced to surrender. The IRA is forced to give up and just Bummer. say, yep, we lost. Okay. And so the Free State ends up kind of consolidating, and Northern Ireland does too. In 1926, Sinn Féin splits again. Question about Northern Ireland. Yeah. So they're still part of, like, the UK proper. They're not a commonwealth, right? Correct. So they... Okay. I, well, I mean today, but I mean back then, was that also the case? In Yeah, in the Anglo-Irish Treaty, they said Northern Ireland... You can decide if you want to be part of this Ireland, you know, this mm. new Irish state, or if you want to be still in the UK. And they were immediately like, nope, we want in the UK. Yeah, because they're like full of Protestants. Yeah. And very good salmon, I hear. Ah, I did not know that. <laughs> so, yeah, they were a separate thing. They kind of spend this time where the Irish Free State is, it has turned the guns on itself, mm-hmm. kind of building itself up and saying, you know, we're, you know, this is what we do. We're kind of more secure. Mm. In 1926, uh, Sinn Féin uh, split again. (laughs) Okay, great. Who's the new baby? So (laughs) this time uh, it was between those who wanted to keep boycotting uh, the Doyle Aaron. Okay. Who said, you know, this whole thing is still illegitimate. Okay. Right. Versus those who wanted to sort of, uh, who wanted to join up and try to republicanize the free state from the inside. Mm, okay, so yeah, the reformists versus kind of rebellion. Again. Yeah. Classic. The reformists, the ones who wanted to join the fray, were led by uh, Eamon de Valera. Mm, that guy. Yeah, clever fox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they formed a new party to do this. This was the split and their party was called Phenophile. Okay. I want to look up a picture of this guy that we're talking about. What's his name again? Uh, Eamon de Valera. Uh, E-A-M-O-N. Oh, wow. I was already wrong. I want to try to picture like a devious actor that could play him. Hmm. I don't know. Got a weird face. That's for sure. <laughs> he kind of looks like if Harrison Ford got a bad nose job. Oh, really bad nose job. A really bad nose job. Sorry, bro. Um... I gotta do something. Maybe, maybe like an uglier Daniel Craig too. Mm. Do you see some Daniel in him? I guess. Yeah. He's got the Craig. Oh yeah, and this weird picture with him in a fucking like Native American headdress. That's definitely got some Craig vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, weird, weird picture. All right, I'm a visual person. I gotta now. I know Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> what did Daniel Craig do next? Uh. He does not look that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, uh, where was I? New party, who dis? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, they start the new fo- uh, party, Fianna Fáil, and uh, 
by this point, Sinn Féin's kind of a shadow of its former self. I mean, yeah, it's man. left with, it's just kind of a sliver of people now. Yeah, yeah, it's some mitosis action. Yeah. And after the Civil War, the IRA is still kind of around mm-hmm. the anti-treaty part of it, right? Because yeah, yeah. the other part went to go be the army. Just the regular army. <laughs> right. Okay. And so this is the what's left of the anti-treaty IRA, and they're kind of regrouping. Mm-hmm. This is a period of time, kind of like the wilderness years for them. Okay. After the Civil War. So this is like 1923. Yeah. And then really till the 60s. All right. So they're kind of underground for a while. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the Irish uh, Free State is kind of doing its own thing. Before World War II, the IRA, you know, it was kind of doing small kind of targets of of the Free State just being kind of anti-them. Mm-hmm. It was also doing taking actions to kind of like protect Catholics in Northern Ireland. Mm, okay. Uh, if they face like sectarian violence of any sort. And also, they contributed to the Irish volunteers in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, okay. That's funny. I was just about to ask, like, I wonder if they have, like, some anarchist streaks in them, just because, I mean, they seem very anti-establishment. And then, like, we know the Spanish Civil War had, like, a, quite a big anarchist streak in there, too. So that's kind of yeah, uh, Yeah. And they, along with a lot of members from the Communist Party of Ireland, were the mm, ones who went okay. to be volunteers in... In the Spanish Civil War, they were called the Connolly Column. Oh, great. Yeah. After our old friend. Yep. We got to do an up on Spanish Civil War soon. Ah, we do. It yeah. keeps coming up. It's like, it's just like that guy that photobombs every picture or something. Like, <laughs> oh, that guy again. Yeah. IRA during World War II is kind of interesting. So before that, they had been kind of moving left under a guy named Moss Tuomi, uh, who seemed like a cool dude, like everybody... I mean, he was in the IRA and was, like, doing, you know, attacks with them and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. he kind of got along with different factions, like, at his funeral. Yeah. So many different people from these different groups are, like, attending, even though they don't like each other, you know? It's mm, kinda, yeah, yeah. He's kind of one of those figures. He's kind of a figures. peacemaker. Yeah. But after him, during World War II, they're kind of mm, doing attacks against the British that are pretty futile, like, they're very small-scale actions, and they're pretty easily crushed. And they even try to cooperate with, uh, this is during World War II, with the Germans. Ooh, not a good look. Uh, no, yeah. It's apparently very <laughs> ineffective. Like, the Germans just complain that they're not very good at, like, attacking military <laughs> targets or anything. It's just like, please stop bombing civilians and do something against uh, actual military targets and shit. Woof, not uh, good enough for the Nazis, huh? So, yeah, they, you know, this is a very weak period of time for them. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty much all but dead, but they eventually kind of revitalize a little bit. It's in 1947 that their leadership passes to who were the uh, this group that were called the Three Max. Okay. Tony McGann, Patty McLogan, and Thomas McCurtain. Oh, okay. I'm, I was going to ask why, but I got it. <laughs> and they instructed all their IRA members to go join Sinn Féin. Oh, okay. Some consolidation. Yeah, uh, they said, you know, there's not a lot of us, but there's not a lot of them either. We can probably take that place over. Nice. And they, they I mean, they kind of do. Uh, oh, they don't mean take it over, like, violently. They just mean, no. like, go join it. In go join it. And we, okay. Yeah. <laughs> got it, got it. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's an easier target. We can get them. Yeah. So they kind of take over the place. They're in a weird ideological spot at that point. They're, like, trying to do a Catholic state sort of thing. Okay. It's not very good. No. Uh, they eventually fix, but. At the time, they were 
Like I said, the wilderness years. Yeah, we're really throwing spaghetti at the wall here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In 1948, the Republic of Ireland Act officially uh, declares that the Irish Free State is now going to be the Republic of Ireland. Mm, Okay. And the IRA stops actions against the Free State overall, or now the Republic. Um, Mm. And they say, we're not going to attack them anymore. We're going to focus our attention on Northern Ireland, on freeing them from the British yoke. Okay, but they, like, don't want to be free? I mean, I guess some of them in there might. The people of Northern Ireland, a substantial minority do. Okay. And the numbers will kind of shift over time. And we'll, yeah. We'll take a look at that. Uh, but, yeah, at the time, it's probably the majority <laughs> that do not want to Interesting. leave that. But they think it's kind of unfair that the, that the British have stepped in. And, and the whole project, the whole reason that there are so many Protestants up there in the first place is because of British imperialism. Is what yeah, yeah, that's so, fair. Uh, what else does the IRA do? They do something called the border campaign okay. in 1956 to 1962, where they start doing some bombings and some attacks okay. on a group called the Royal Ulster Constabulary. All so right. this is kind of like the Royal Irish Constabulary, yeah, but in yeah. Ulster. So in northern ireland okay these are also called the b specials is it b for bomb no they were called b because it's like, like there was a classification system of a b and c uh, like okay. a was like super super professional like almost british army guys and then b was like the uh, local okay, okay. and then c was like retired dudes basically they start targeting them they start targeting british forces in northern ireland overall this is like a super military failure mm-hmm. doesn't really get anything done it had fizzled out maybe by like 58, but they don't end up calling it off till 62 officially. It's not very good. People argued that, hey, this kind of kept, you know, this gave some key people some training and this kind of kept people like remembering, Engaged. oh, there is an R- IRA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't just disappear. Right. And maybe they should yeah. have. They had some real stinkers in there, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll improve. They could have just like switched to like a quarterly newsletter or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But anyway, that's kind of what they were doing in that time period. Okay. All right. Next up, we have the civil rights campaign in Northern Ireland. Okay. And so what happens here is that in Northern Ireland, you've got a Protestant-dominated government. Mm-hmm. All right. It's wholly supported by the British, of course. It's yeah. I mean, Their colonialism, again, <laughs> set this whole thing up. Yeah. And it discriminated against the people in their country that were catholic okay i mean like i'm sure you have examples do you have examples (laughs) sure yeah yeah yeah. uh we don't have to get into too much of the details but there they were discriminating housing wise Mm -hmm. so think kind of like their version maybe of our redlining sort of thing uh the economy sucked for catholics if your Mm -hmm. protestant male unemployment for example was 6.6 percent in catholics it was 17.3 percent oh my gosh so Clearly, things weren't working well yeah, for them. Yeah, not great. The Catholic population there was over-policed. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they've got kind of the, got them in ghettos and they're sending the police in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were gerrymandered into unionist dis- districts. So oh, that sucks. They couldn't really express whatever political views they did have. Business owners, who were more likely to be Protestant because they were wealthier, mm-hmm. got an extra vote. <laughs> it was called the business vote. You just that got sucks. to vote more because you were a business owner. That's everyone starting Etsy, okay? <laughs> yeah. like, I sold my potato yesterday. Like, fuck you. I'm, I'm a business owner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and sucks. also, they could just get locked up without a trial for being accused of, you know, Republican or paramilitary <laughs> activities. Okay, that sucks. Yeah, this is a shitty situation. 
So people went out to protest, right? That's what you yeah. do. Shitty situation. Let's take <laughs> to the streets. Okay. You had groups like People's Democracy, groups like the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association or NICRA, starting campaigns to demand civil rights, demand equality, and demand an end to basically kind of an apartheid state situation. Here. Yeah. I mean, my little raised Catholic heart is just like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. That could be my mom. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they start doing this. The People's Democracy is more of like a student-led movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of their prominent members is a woman named Bernadette Devlin. Okay. Who's a, a socialist. Nice. And famously took a trip to America and was like voicing support for the Black Panther Party. Nice. Uh, was elected to British Parliament and like slapped a dude on the oh, floor of parliament nice. okay <laughs> i was like i don't know if i'm gonna like this one but yeah yeah that nice because <laughs> i the guy said something about like this british force that had done a shooting like that they had been attacked or something beforehand justified mm. it you know and she yeah. just went up and slapped him uh power move so literally. she's kind of cool and later on we'll see her involved in founding another party uh, okay we'll talk about but just to introduce her there. Cool. And anyway, the, the the Northern Irish government, of course, did not like people taking to the streets. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. They reacted <laughs> with violence. Uh. And uh, things really come to a head in Derry, one of okay. the cities in Northern Ireland. Uh, people start throwing up barricades and fighting against the B-specials. They set up an area of the city called Free Derry. Okay. In what would become known as the Battle of the Bogside. Ooh, that's a cool name. That sounds like a of, fucking Harry Potter battle or something, or a Lord of the Rings <laughs> I guess battle. The Death Eaters or the Nazgul, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, you could argue that the Royal Ulster Constabulary is just the Nazguls. Um, yeah, basically. This was August 12, 1969, and in West Belfast, things were similar. People set up free Belfast there. That was kind mm-hmm. of the Irish Catholic neighborhood there. And this started going on kind of all throughout Northern Ireland. They're just called the 1969 Northern Ireland riots. Okay. And, okay, how do you think the state reacted to this? <laughs> no, they were probably like, you know what, I get it, guys, we made some mistakes, let's all sit down and figure this out. Thank you for calling us in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, thank you for the the emotional labor you've done and pointing out our flaws. I promise to do better. <laughs> and we're all learning and growing together. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. They did a, they did a notes apology and posted it on Instagram. You know, like when someone just takes a picture of their notes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. No. So what they did instead was crack down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they went in hard. They threw tons of people in jail. They announced they would be shooting rioters. Naturally. Uh, loyalist paramilitaries, like the Ulster Volunteer Force, called mm, yeah, the UVF, yeah. and eventually, when once they were formed, the Ulster Defense Association, the UDA. Mm -hmm. Uh, they just turned loose on the Catholic population there. And uh, also British troops were sent in. Fuck. This was regarded as the start of something called the Troubles. Okay, so question. Yeah. The IRA was like helping or involved in this in some way too, you think? or They're going to be, yeah. Okay. For now, it's mostly internal within Northern Ireland. So there are IRA groups in Northern Ireland too. Okay, it's not okay. just a Republic of Ireland it's like a thing. Chapter it's thing. throughout yeah, the whole island of Ireland. This was also the longest ever British Army operation. It would last until 2007 that they Holy were there shit. in Northern Ireland. Wait, when did they get there? Uh, in 1969. Oh my God. Yeah. Like someone could like live and die in that amount of time. Yeah. 
I mean, you die a little do. bit young, but shit. <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned the IRA. So yeah, what yeah. was their deal here? How did they react? It's an interesting development. So like we said, they'd been in the wilderness. And even past after that border campaign, they were even further in the wilderness. They were just kind of like reassessing their whole strategy. Yeah, they're like, you guys, know. we got what's our fucking mission statement? I lost it. <laughs> yeah, and this led them in a Marxist direction. Oh, I like that direction. Yeah. And so they now started to see the conflict in Northern Ireland as one fueled by the ruling class. One that was trying to pit Protestant and Catholic working class people against one another mm. for their benefit, right? Mm. And so they argued to, con- to combat this, you had to democratize Northern Ireland. You had to be able to do class politics there to challenge imperialism from beneath, from the working class. Sounds so good. So you had to get the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland and also in re- the Republic of Ireland to work together to overthrow the imperialist yoke. Sounds good. I'm just picturing them like all sitting around their study and like someone like leans against a bookshelf and they're like, what's this book? And it's like, Marx, <laughs> guys, I've got a great idea. <laughs> Wait, it says here. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I say it's interesting because this is what happens. This kind of makes them want to do more recruiting, right? Mm. And less kind of using force against Protestant paramilitary members in the North. Mm, okay. Because those guys aren't British. They're, you know. They're still I mean, Irish, yeah. Yeah. And they're Protestant, but like they're mostly working class. Yeah. Even though they're like sitting here roughing up catholic neighborhoods and stuff they're like what do we like convince them that they shouldn't be doing that they should be you know fighting for the proletariat yeah and they're kind of their focus on this kind of leaves them ill prepared for when this violence does break out Mm -hmm. they don't really have much of a network up there in terms of arms in terms of self-defense that sort of thing yeah they don't really have much of a reaction to it when paramilitaries and just straight up army troops get turned on the catholic population Mm, okay, that's not good. Yeah, and so a lot of rank and file members get kind of pissed off, and they're like, "Leadership, you should have been doing something about this." Yeah, you know, you're over here. You know, it's not that they were super like anti-communist necessarily. It was just like they didn't give a shit about that. They were like, "We're here to, you know, make an independent Irish republic, and you know, in the meantime, protect people that." You know, or yeah, that's the hurt. thing. It's a bad look when it's like, okay, we're going to do a hearts and minds campaign and like talk to people. And then like you were surprised when the people you're talking to like broke bad. It's like you probably should have seen that coming. Yes. Yeah. And they were upset, you know, at the, I guess the immediate problem too is we got to deal with this now. And so in 1970, the IRA ends up splitting uh, the two groups. All right. All right. Who's, who's next? All right. Uh, also... Patreon crew, you can get this in your notes as well. Oh, another little, birth chart. This flow chart is for the IRA Irish volunteers. Oh, this one looks no, it's not as big, but it's it's a lot. Jesus, yeah, okay. It, it kind of, in some ways, mirrors the other one. Mm-hmm. You know, because they oftentimes are associated. Yeah. But they split each group, calling itself the real group you know we're, we're, for, we're the actual they're they're posers yeah so the marxist leaning faction became called the official ira is <laughs> the other one the true ira the one more focused on self-defense became called kind of to their annoyance the provisional ira oh that's a much worse name yeah yeah i mean they eventually kind of turn it cool they get nicknamed the provos 
Oh, that's cool. They're all along. Like that was a very temporary name for them because they formed a provisional IRA council and then the media mm. started calling them the provisionals. And so it's yeah. stuck. Real quick, listeners, my dog is very active today. I'm going to try my best to edit out his little toenail clacks. But if you hear that, I'm not just like, I don't know what that would be. Typing on a typewriter, I guess. Wrapping <laughs> like, your long fingernails against <laughs> the table. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get a crazy, like, three-inch manicure. Um, <laughs> my dog is just restless because my cat is walking around, and apparently that's unacceptable. Can't be doing that. Nope. And our good friends Sinn Féin also split. Oh, my gosh, to reflect, guys. To kind of reflect this split, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Similar argument, the Marxism versus the physical force. Also, they were kind of arguing about abstentionism. Should we... If we're elected, should we still not do that? Or should we try to play electoral politics? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so they split as well. They had official Sinn Féin, <laughs> which followed the official IRA team. Okay. And they were the ones who wanted to do electoral stuff. And you also had just plain Sinn Féin. <laughs> uh, so confusing, guys. Tied to the provost. Okay. Sinn Féin, provost. Official Sinn Féin, official IRA. Yeah, but what are they for? Uh, the provosts are the physical force guys, non-Marxism. Okay, there's like guys, we're just trying to get these guys to stop beating up Catholics. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. They kind of wanted to stick to the more militaristic tradition of it. Yeah. Official Sinn Féin would eventually go on to change its name in 1982 to the Workers' Party. Which That's a great name. still around today. Uh, we'll we'll talk about another offshoot of them later, but they're still around. They're okay. you know a party in cool. Ireland. We said that this kind of kicked off the troubles, and now the IRA kind of got it shit together. The provisional IRA are going to be the ones who are playing the leading role here, and we'll talk about why. So does that mean that there's no more Sinn Fein today? Like they died out because they split so many times? Nope, they're back. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah. I'll keep an eye out for them. <laughs> That's a comeback story for the ages. Okay. <laughs> Back to the Troubles, a particularly terrible example of the early violence of the Trouble was called Bloody Sunday. My God, get a new day. Come on, schedule these things. <laughs> it, this one was in 1972. NICRA had organized a protest march against internment without trial. You know, yeah. locking people up without trial. Yeah, it's a bad one. And the British military went in guns blazing, literally. <laughs> yeah. The 1st Battalion Parachute Regiment which just five months prior had killed 11 civilians in the Bally Murphy massacre. Okay. Uh, went in there and they shot people even as they were fleeing or even as they were helping the wounded. They end up killing 14 people. Shit. Two people are run down by army vehicles. Many people are injured by very, very non-lethal rubber bullets. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's just mayhem. Fuck. Okay. Um, that's kind of an example of some of the violence of the of the early days of the Troubles. Again, we mentioned this in kind of our teaser for this episode, but it's a stupid name. It's a really a bad name. Because, like, it makes it just sound like, oh, there was just a little spot of, you know, kind yeah. of a flare-up. Yeah, uh, like, oh, I have a headache. Well, that's that's troubling. Like, this is, this is more than that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't know, it, it, like, yeah, it kind of trivializes, I guess. Is the yeah. Yeah. The conflict has definitely escalated here. And so yes. NICRA and other kind of nonviolent groups have kind of faded away. The UK steps in and suspends Northern Ireland's parliament and just rules them directly. Shit. And the provisional IRAs kind of steps in and they're like going to take over 
in terms of defending Northern Irish Catholics during the Troubles mm. and then kind of waging their own conflict against the occupying forces. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that, that can't go over well with the British. Right. <laughs> we don't really have to get too much into the military history here again. I don't this want is a to. long <laughs> period of time and it's a regular warfare, so it's even harder to follow. Great. But this is a long guerrilla warfare campaign, an insurgency by the IRA and a group we'll talk about here in a bit, the Irish National Liberation Army. There's just so many names, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I had the chart that you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will, it's it's, it's a good Patreon. thing to have. So again, <laughs> Patreon. And it's a counterinsurgency fought by, you know, the British Army. They're fighting a counterinsurgency. Uh, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, those are the B-specials. Mm, yeah. The UVF, the UDA, these kind of quasi-fascist paramilitaries. These guys are all fighting kind of a counterinsurgency, which if anyone knows anything about like the American invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan, those are those involve committing a lot of crimes. Yeah, okay. Tactics by used by the IRA include bombings uh, and assassination campaigns. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot to get into. Yeah. Lots of people die. Yeah. It's a bad one. Yeah. Uh, there is another split we should mention. God dang it. Guys, can you keep it together? Because I just mentioned the Irish National Liberation Army, and you were kind of like, what is okay. that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that comes from a split within the official IRA. <laughs> My gosh. Okay. So the official IRA, they were the Marxist organization. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they declared a ceasefire in 1972, basically saying that the armed struggle was kind of hopeless until the working class could be unified. Mm. So they weren't going to do it anymore. Mm, and then some people wanted to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This kind of, you know, yeah, made some people mad. Uh, one of the guys that this upset was a guy named Seamus Costello. Okay. And he teamed up with Bernadette Devlin from before. Mm, yeah, yeah. And some others. And he split off and formed a group called the Irish Republican Socialist Party. Okay. So this is kind of split off from official Sinn Féin, and he also creates its armed wing, the Irish National Liberation Army, which is the split from the official IRA. Great. Two names for, you know, they're both, they're all doing the same thing, which is like, we have a political party and we have a military. Yeah. Seamus Costello is kind of cool. He, he joined Sinn Féin and the IRA when he was 16. He earned the nickname, the boy general. That's pretty cool. Uh, when he was in the border campaign. He got imprisoned in 1957 and started studying Marxism. Classic uh, move. In particular. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and in particular, he was studying the Vietnamese struggle for independence. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This time he would later refer to as his university days. <laughs> I like that. And so, yeah, he was, he was kind of active in his area. He helped set up a tenants association in Bray, helped with a credit union movement and with farmers organizations he also got elected to local government like their local town council thing cool so yeah when when the split happened he initially when the official provisional split happened he mm -hmm. sided with the officials because they were more leftist you know yeah yeah but when he splits with the irish national <laughs> the liberation official. army yeah he kind of describes the difference like this he says the principal ideological differences would be their attitude toward the national question as against our attitude. Basically, the position of the leadership of the officials is that there's no hope of achieving national liberation until such time as the Protestant and Catholic working classes in the North 
are united and therefore there is nothing which can be done in political terms or in any other terms about this particular issue. Mm -hmm. Our attitude, on the other hand, is that the British presence in Ireland is the basic cause of the divisions between the Protestant and Catholic working classes in the North. So it follows from that, in our view, that the primary emphasis should be on the mobilization of the mass of the Irish people in the struggle for national liberation. So I have questions. Yeah. How much of that do you think is true? Because wasn't it like, I mean, the Protestants were put there by the British. I mean, granted, that was a long time ago, but still. Mm -hmm. And clearly they're benefiting from like being British because like Northern Ireland can get away with making like these discriminatory laws and the British don't seem to give a fuck. Yeah. So, like, do you think that's true? That, like, do I think that Britain is the one causing this division? Like, if they just up and left, that Protestants would be like, actually, I'm fine with Catholics. Like, I mean, there's just like discrimination in, involved, you know? Like, there's, yeah. it, it just doesn't feel like this is quite like intersectional enough, maybe? Like, I mean, I know Catholicism is not like a, a race, obviously. It's not like an ethno religion, but like back then it felt like it kind of was almost. Mm hmm. I don't know if I followed, I guess. Okay. If you pushed a button and Britain was gone, do you think the conflict between Protestants and Catholics would like get better? Do you, I guess what I'm saying is, hmm. do you think okay. that his analysis of that was true? Right. I do think it would have um, improved things. I think that the Protestant government, the Protestant dominated government of Northern Ireland was able to throw its weight around, able to gerrymander its people and all this, because they're not just relying on their paramilitaries and whatnot. They're, they also have the B-specials British-backed. They also have British mm -hmm. troops British-backed. They have so much of a foreign military might that is willing to back them up. Okay. That okay. the people can't really even fight a fair fight. Okay. I'm trying to think of, like, a comparison from, like, U.S. history, just because <laughs> cause I'm a fucking loser. Okay. It's almost like if you're, like, a slave state or something and, like, you can get away with being a dipshit because, like, you have a whole country to back you up on that. Yeah, you don't have to worry about a slave. If South Carolina had a slave rebellion, uh, the U.S. Army would be in there, like, you know, crushing it. Yeah, okay, gotcha. I don't think he was meaning, the way I read this anyway, I wasn't reading this as, like, let's put aside the discrimination struggle for the national liberation struggle. He was saying that, like, this causes that. Yeah, I read this as the British are the cause for it. So, of course, we've got to, we cannot just give up the national liberation fight because, I mean, if we do, nothing's going to change, basically. We're just going to be sitting here. Like, I mean, because he's kind of right at the time that the officials were just hanging out. Like, mm -hmm. they just said, we can't do that. We have to try <laughs> to recruit people and it's not working. So, so I guess we'll do nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I get where he's coming from there. Yeah. I read this as him saying, like, we do need to do that mobilization thing. And we do need to, like, you know, talk to people and say, you know, and also he kind of later on in that same passage that I got that from his writings or it was an interview with somebody. He said, uh, you know, we're going to be honest with people and say, like, we're Marxists, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, <laughs> but this is what we want to do. Like, we'll work with you on whatever if you were working for the same goal. Yeah. But uh, I think he wants to do that, but also, like, make sure to carry on the struggle against the British occupation. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he wants to do both and the old leadership kind of wants to do nothing. <laughs> Of the officials, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting thing. And his, you know, party and his armed organization, they're way more radical than the officials were in that way. I mean, they, you know, they're explicitly, you know, Marxist yeah. and whatever. And they're more radical in terms than the provisionals. But they're not trying to fight them or anything. 
he kind of puts together this cool organization that doesn't really get a lot of chance to get off the ground. Okay. He ends up assassinated. Oh, no. By a member of the official IRA. Oh, man. What the fuck? The, they, they denied it. And they're later on, the, the workers party like condemns the killing or whatever. But yeah, that sucks. that's probably who did it. Like infighting stuff, you know. I barely got to know this boy general. Yeah, they got into a feud, basically, the two sides. Mm. And um, each side kind of killed some of the others. And (sighs) Once again, leftist drama really benefits nobody. Yeah, yeah. Seamus Casello died too soon, for sure. At his funeral, James Connolly's daughter, Nora Connolly O'Brien, said of him, of all the politicians and political people with whom I have had conversations and who call themselves followers of Connolly, he was the only one who truly understood what James Connolly meant when he spoke of his vision and the freedom of the Irish people. Dang. It's a kind of high praise. Yeah. Uh, the ISRP is still around. Wait, hard. sorry, which one is this one? This is his, this is his Seamus Costello's. Okay, okay. <laughs> his, his political party is still around. It's still a political party in Ireland. Uh, it hasn't participated in elections recently. It's very, very small. Okay. So, but it's there. All right. Back to the troubles. Okay. Next chapter up is the prison strikes. All right. So in 1972, uh, the British tried to kind of normalize the situation in Ireland, uh, in Northern Ireland. Okay. By removing internment without trial, by removing something called the special category status for political prisoners. So anybody they threw in jail for being, you know, suspected paramilitary or Republican Mm. or whatnot, they got treated kind of according to prisoner of war conventions. And Mm. this is a little better than regular criminals, kind of like you can stay with your own group of people. You don't have to wear like prison uniforms. Uh, Okay. You get a little bit more privileges, I guess. Okay. Instead, I mean, they don't improve it by much (laughs) because instead people accused of paramilitary activities would still be tried without juries because (laughs) they were like, oh, we don't want you to intimidate the jury. So you just won't have a jury. What the fuck? (laughs) And uh, they would be treated instead as regular criminals. They would be housed in this particular prison called the maze. They were also referred to as the H blocks. All right. Like, is the maze spelled like M-A-Z-E? Yeah, like you would get lost in it. But it's just like, it was just the name of it. Okay. It doesn't look like a maze. It's a spooky name, though. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, IRA prisoners and INLA, the National Liberation mm-hmm, Front mm-hmm. guys, uh, they start protesting against this change. Okay. Against not being treated like prisoners of war, being treated like common criminals. Mm. And this starts with something called the blanket protest. Okay where uh, they refused to wear prison uniforms. Ooh. Uh, the first guy to do this was a guy named Kieran Nugent in 1976. And instead of wearing the prison uniforms, he wore like a prison blanket. Nice. It's called the blanket protest. All right, toga party. Yeah. Uh, and so they made five demands, the right not to wear a prison uniform, the right not to do prison work, the right of free association with other prisoners and to organize educational and recreational pursuits, the right to one visit, one letter, and one parcel per week, and full restoration of remission lost through the protest. I think that's like, it sounds like money, like remittances maybe. Yeah. But I don't know if they were getting paid at all, but probably not. Anyway, that was one of their demands. So those are their five demands. Uh, and they upgraded this protest to the dirty protest in 1978. Did they stop bathing? Yes, in part. Prisoners refused to leave their cells to shower 
or to use the lavatory <gasps> because prison guards were attacking people. So because they couldn't leave their cells, their <gasps> chamber pots couldn't be cleaned out either. They even took to smearing shit on the walls. Oh, my God. And 30 other prisoners in the Armagh Women's Prison also joined in on the protest. Whoa. Including smearing their menstrual blood on things. That's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. sweet. I mean, fucking disgusting. And like, you're kind of like torturing yourself a little bit, but like. In a way, yeah. Impressive. Impressive yeah. dedication. And then came the, you know, the British government still wasn't given in. So then came the hunger strike. Ooh, okay. In 1981. Woof. A guy named Bobby Sands led the strike. Okay. And 22 other IRA or INLA prisoners joined him. Mm-hmm. British government at the time was governed by one Margaret Thatcher. <gasps> I hate her. Yeah. One of the truly evil people in history. <laughs> and of course, you know, she said, my goodness, I didn't realize we were treating you so inhumanely. You can go free, right? Mm, I don't think so. No. She refused to budge, even as the strikers approached death. Okay. Public sympathy was high. So high that, in fact, Bobby Sands was elected to British Parliament during. <laughs> oh, my gosh. From from prison? From prison. Wow. Uh, during his hunger strike. But it didn't matter. Thatcher said, crime is crime. It is not political. Okay. The quote of the century. Yeah. Right what the fuck? I mean, you could argue that all crime is political, but especially <laughs> this one that like is explicitly A political. literal political crime. Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? So she coldly let the strikers approach their deaths. And Bobby Sands died on the 66th day of his hunger strike at age 27. Shit. Nine other strikers would die before it was called off. Okay, geez. It was, at the time, seen as kind of a victory for the British government. Like, they held through it, you know, and they didn't give in to the demands. Great. Yeah, like, why are you proud of that? A lot of people were pissed about it, and it was kind of a Pyrrhic victory in that way, because, I mean, IRA recruitment went through the roof. Yeah. Clearly, there was a lot of sympathy there. I mean, one guy, like, got elected to Parliament. Yeah, shit. During it. And there was broader support for the Irish Republican movement. So it's around the time of the hunger strikes that a guy named Jerry Adams starts to rise in Sinn Féin. Okay. And if you want, you can do your like actor casting <laughs> call. Yeah, I will. Search I will. for him. It's Jerry with a G. I mean, this guy looks like our fucking high school history teacher, but... <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess he has a little bit of Oh, but uh, young him is fucking Brian Cranston. Young him is Brian Cranston. Um, this black and white photo, he looks kind of Brian Cranston, but with like a big beard and 70s hair. Okay. Who do, who are you thinking? I had no idea. I was curious to him. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, he does kind of do a Brian Cranston look there. Okay. Yeah, so he starts to rise in Sinn Féin, okay. which you asked earlier, are they just not around anymore? Yeah. And they virtually at that point are like not. I mean, they've had so many splits. This is a back from the dead story. <laughs> They are uh, just kind of like barely there. They are associated, I guess, with the provost, mm-hmm. but they're not like electorally. They're ba- they're not doing anything yeah. at all. And Jerry Adams is an interesting guy. He had been with the party since 1964 at the age of 16. Okay, and he'd spent some time in jail, accused of being in the provisional IRA. Mm, okay, this has never been proven. He's been like, you know, either not convicted of it in various ways or, you know, found not guilty of it or whatever. Despite a lot of accusations about it, mm-hmm. 
and seemingly pretty close ties <laughs> to the organization. Okay. It's not something I would fault him for if he were in it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm whatever. just saying, it just... He probably was. I mean, but he says he wasn't. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, at this point, couldn't you just tell people like... Yeah. But maybe it's the lie's gone too far. So wait, or so... the truth. Who... Where is this guy? Like, is he in Northern Ireland? So that would get him in trouble? Yeah, he was from... He's... Where is he from? I know he was born in Belfast. Yeah, that's a doll Aaron. Yeah. So he no, could just say, in, like, yeah. Who what? wasn't? That's what he could say. Yeah, he's a, yeah he's in the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, so I don't know what he would... I don't know. Maybe he thinks too many people would be pissed about it. Hmm. But anyway... He started rising in Sinn Féin and saying, basically, hey, why don't we do more electoral politics? Okay. In addition to supporting, you know, the IRA's armed struggle, which we're definitely not directing. (laughs) It's not me, but we could still support it. We should support the provisional IRA doing its thing, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, the IRA basically at that point. Okay. Why don't we... Just do both. Por que no los dos. Love that. Right. And this uh, was summed up in the famous Armalite and Ballot Box strategy. Okay. Which was this speech that was at a party convention style thing. And I don't think it was even him. He had like worked with this guy to say it. But this guy says, who here really believes we can win the war through the ballot box? But will anyone here object if with a ballot paper in this hand and an Armalite in the other, we take power in Ireland? Not a bad plan. Now, an Armalite is like... Uh, an AR-18, an AR-15, oh, okay. think about it. Uh, it's just a, a particular okay. manufacturer of it that was popular with the IRA because it was cheap and easy to get. Mm, okay, okay. And so, yeah, he's saying... Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, political power flows from the barrel of a gun. Yeah, shit. That's <laughs> what he's saying. So he ends up becoming party leader in 1983. And in 1986, he makes the change or, you know, gets the party. It's not just a dictator or something, but he gets the party to change to... Say they're going to participate in the Doyle if elected. Okay. This is in the Republic of Ireland. If they mm-hmm. do get elected, they're going to take their seats there. Okay. And uh, the organization's previous president, Rory O'Brady, led kind of a walkout of that. He was he was like, this bullshit. We've always <laughs> been against that. So he leaves. He wants to still be abstentionist. So his group becomes a Republican Sinn Féin which is a kind of a fringe nationalist party now. It's not mm, really, okay. it's barely there. It's still around, I guess, but tiny. Okay. But it's interesting. I mean, official Sinn Féin wanted to do that a while back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what started a big split in, in yeah. 1970. And now the side that originally did not want to do that is now saying, I mean, you know, <laughs> what if we do that? Uh, I'm just like all these splits could be solved by people being like, let's do both. Like, that's it. <laughs> you wouldn't have this ridiculous degradation of parties. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's the splits are, I mean, they're for valid. They're not doing them for no reason or trivial reasons, but they could. There yeah. is a better alternative. I think you're right of like pursuing two strategies. Mm-hmm. So uh, they end up taking part in electoral politics how's it go it's a very slow process i mean they're not really in the lead with anything to start out with gradually the the peace process starts to take mm, starts to take the lead uh both sides kind of tire out of the troubles and yeah are looking for a way out 
eventually they're able to negotiate ceasefires with the IRA. Okay. And eventually come together with something called the Good Friday Agreement. I feel like I've heard of this. It's a, well, it's a very famous international agreement. 1998. It goes into effect in 1999, I guess. But they signed it in 98. And it's an agreement to kind of end the troubles. Damn, that lasted a long fucking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it settles the conflict in terms of it makes official the partition. Okay. It was basically going to be approved by referendum on both sides. Okay. And they do. It's like a 77% vote in Northern Ireland and like a 90% vote or something in the Republic of Ireland. They're just They're like, cool we're out. It. Yeah. <laughs> and it basically says that Northern Ireland, if any future reunification mm-hmm. has to be agreed on by, you know, the majority of the Republic of Ireland and the majority of Northern Ireland. Interesting. So like both of them have to agree to do that basically yeah but northern ireland i mean i guess i'm just like well why aren't they unified now <laughs> are there that many protestants in there like no i don't want to the 2011 census said 41.5 percent protestant 41 percent roman catholic oh 0.8 percent non-christian 17 percent no religion or did not state one great news guys catholics love having babies we hate birth control we'll win out in the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah you would that's think. way closer than i thought it would be though me okay too. yeah me too yeah, i'm like surely one of them would just like be more yeah Jeez. okay yeah I, I would be interested to see the like change over time on that hmm uh but overall it you know it re- recognized that northern ireland and the republic of ireland were separate yeah and said you know this is how it is. Although the <laughs> Republic of Ireland said kind of like, we would like it to be reunified. Mm-hmm. We agree that we're only going to reunify that if people Everyone want votes. Okay. Basically. Interesting. And uh, I mean, that's the, you know, more or less the working framework that's in place today. As far as the, as far as the arrangement goes there, there are still like IRA groups because the IRA did a ceasefire there in 1997 Mm -hmm. to get to that point but you had a couple of groups split off before that the continuity ira in 1986 and the real ira in 1997 (laughs) split off to kind of keep doing bombings and stuff okay i don't know in less of a in less of a popularly backed way i would argue Mm -hmm. like at that point, you're sort of just doing your own lone wolf sort of thing almost, or your own like secret cell sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's what I'm struggling with. I don't know. I guess I, I don't understand enough of like the cultural context of like the Protestant and Catholic divide. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, did that peter out? I'm, assu- I'm assuming they're still not just being dicks to Catholics over there, right? In Northern Ireland? Uh, there were. Uh... In 1990, they're still being mean to Catholics? historical man they don't like each other i mean I, yeah i guess i'm and coming out of race racial as well i mean like you know they see themselves as british which is to them separate from irish yeah that's true i i think it's too yeah coming from a country where like if you're white it's good enough <laughs> and it's been like that for a very long time you know like yeah. and like what how many catholics do we have on the supreme court now it's in like all of them <laughs> yeah it's either yeah, for a while it was either Catholics or Jews. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's most that. of them still. I th- yeah. So 
this is just a Wikipedia article on segregation in Northern Ireland. Probably mm-hmm. something I should have poked more into. <laughs> but this says that in 2006, 90% of children in Northern Ireland were in segregated schools. 2006, guys? What is going on? Majority of Catholic children attend schools maintained by the Catholic Church, I think is maybe okay. why. But the, okay, but it's not like a law segregated, like, it's like a self-segregation thing of like, yeah, we're going to religious schools. Yes, yeah, so uh, in the initial paragraph, it says, Catholics and Protestants lead largely separate lives in a situation that some have dubbed self-imposed apartheid. Huh. They said by 2017, the figure about the segregated schools had risen to 93%. <laughs> Jesus. The overwhelming majority of Ulster's children can go from 4 to 18 without having a serious conversation with a member of a rival creed. Oh my gosh! That's uh, nuts. Wow, wow. Well, okay. So that's self-imposed. Like, I'm wondering right. about, like, systemic shit. Like, are they still... So in employment, the British government has introduced numerous laws and regulations since the 1990s to prohibit discrimination on religious grounds. Good job. Low bar, but good job. This has had a significant impact on the level of segregation in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Segregation at work is one of the least acute forms of segregation in Northern Ireland. Okay, so you might know someone at the office and be like, well, I don't know about that guy, but okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's where you meet your weirdo <laughs> Catholic or Protestant friends, depending You're, on which yeah. side you're on. So you can say, I have a Catholic friend. <laughs> it's that guy at work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I I know we have a few Irish listeners, so they're probably like, you guys are so fucking stupid. But it's just like, we don't have this context. Like, it's just not a thing here. Like, when we have religious discrimination here, it's against like Jewish people or Muslims, you know, like it's like, if you're Catholic, mm. it's fine. Yeah, I guess that's that's the big difference is Catholicism is not any longer. America it has had history. Well, yeah, we used to in like the, what, the 60s or something. Well, yeah, by the 60s. I mean, you still had like a latent discrimination, but you did have a major candidate of one of the yeah. political parties running for office or getting elected. Yeah. You had a major candidate running for office in 1928 with Al Smith. Oh, did not know that. I mean, Catholics have had a long, slow, but still... An, integrated <laughs> part in society yeah yeah and it's just yeah it's just weird to, to it's just see. weird to us yeah i mean like even us though like we grew up in an area that was largely protestant like we still had a quite a few catholic churches though in the town it was just like smaller that's all yeah it was socially maybe weird like if it was ever brought up with your friends but it wasn't a like a bad no one was like you suck you're a catholic you know no one was seriously like that yeah, it's just like, why do you have smudges on your forehead today? And you're like, oh, let me explain. Right. Like, that was it. But I feel like here it's also more cultural, too. It's not just your religious practice necessarily, like what, you're, what mm. you theologically believe. It's also like, you're of that tribe, you know? Yeah. Say more on that. What do you mean by that? It, you're you're in a different, you know, like they said, you, you don't speak to that group oh, of people okay. at you're all. Oh, okay, you're saying over there it is. I thought you meant here. Okay. No, here not at all. Yeah, no, I'm saying like there whatever, it's more dude. of a, like the, why they call it a sectarian thing. It's yeah, just, it is. It's so heavily divided. Yeah. It, I mean, it. I, this is a crude, ex, like, comparison. It does feel like a race thing. It does feel like racialized, like, that's how they view them, like, as a different kind of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, we end up kind of more or less at the present day at that point mm-hmm. with the lines drawn the republican movement 
and the socialist stripes of those, I mean, some of them still kind of exist. <laughs> Sinn Féin is not socialist anymore or okay. doing anything to kind of act like it's socialist at any. I mean, it's more or less neoliberal. It's more or less middle class. Um, it's, I mean, really come back lately. It in the in the 2020 election, I think they got the most votes. Oh. But didn't they got the most votes? They didn't get the most seats, and the other two parties, Finnegale and Fianna Fáil, teamed up in a like a you know they formed a, a government mm. together, even though neither one of them got the most. It was that's so they shitty. got locked out anyway. Oh, but I'm not you know they're just not doing like you know we're talking about Republican socialism here. They weren't you know they're not doing that. Yeah, bummer. You still do. I mean, you still do have the Workers Party around. Nice. You know, so the descendants of the official Sinn Féin. <laughs> uh, they had a split off from them called the Democratic Left. Okay. Which were just kind of some kind of reformist guys yeah, who were trying to I do figured. more free market. Yeah. But they eventually merged with the Labor Party. Uh, so, I mean, you have a Labor Party there. Nice. I don't know if they have always prior- prioritized like the national or the Republican question. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because you had, you know, such a ferocity about it before that you don't see uh at least in the research that i was doing it doesn't seem to have to be as as primary of a current anymore yeah i was gonna say that like our first episode was like socialist as fuck very good stuff some fire beats and this one like yeah we had like a marxist group but like it just always came back to to the question of i guess republicanism Mm -hmm. and i don't know like i feel like we lost the plot a little bit (laughs) well I don't know. I would say that's part of the plot. I mean, that that's I guess yeah. It's integral like, to it said? is yeah. You have to you have to do both. You have to throw the British out. You have to have your own have your own nation and your own you know freedom mm-hmm. for your people to decide. So I get why the question was so salient. But I mean, like from that point to to now, because like I think in the in the seventies and everything, and obviously before that, in the initial you know civil war and everything time period but especially when you get to the 70s and stuff and and you you actually have the Irish Republican Socialist Party you have this like combo and mm, you know they weren't that widespread really but you know the officials and Sinn Fein broadly they they had a movement they could you know could have done more with that it doesn't s- seem like there's a lot of people that are trying to do both of those things now like it seems like Mm -hmm. a lot of people are kind of tired of the whole national question almost in modern times yeah i could see that yeah that's kind of how i feel about it like since maybe there's like less blatant discrimination and more just self-separation like i guess uh, to me that seemed to be the main motivation for for reunification it's like hey they're treating catholics like shit up there like we should do something about it and now it's like i mean do you need them like what, I guess I'm just like, do you, do you need that? Are you just mad because they're on the same island as you? Like, I don't super get it. Like, I'm willing to be proven wrong on this for sure. But like, I guess I just don't, I don't get the urgency. It just, it feels like, and I don't know if this is true. And I don't know if this is like a terrible <laughs> characterization of this. But like, it feels like I got to a certain point where it's just like, well, fuck you. I'm going to keep bombing. And like, okay, we're going to keep like doing shit back. You know, like it felt felt like it got to a point of just like, just a lot of, of blood had been shed. And so it just kind of kept going. I don't, is that... Is that like mm. an, an unfair characterization? Yeah, I, I guess I would kind of push back on that because I, I do think that people were genuinely 
uh, still trying to get recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, still trying to force the British hand into, into. I mean, like, because they do end up. If you sit down and do this, is something I was thinking about. If you just sit down and do nothing, mm-hmm. or give up, like the British are not going to, you know, let up on you know uh, on the Catholic population in Northern yeah, Ireland. That's true. Like, you're never going to get to Good Friday. If they don't have paramilitaries that they're trying to stop, you know, it seems true. That's true. And I don't know, but that's difficult because I think to offer good criticism too, I don't think their tactic of assassinating people with bombs in public places that innocent people end up getting killed at too, (laughs) was it like particularly... Okay, he argued the morality of it, but it's not a particularly effective tactic either because how do you blow up everyone who they know is going to hate you? Yeah, yeah, you're not really winning over the people here. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I want to support people's right to determine for themselves and obviously want to support socialism, but it just doesn't seem like a good way to do it. Yeah. Even if you're going to target a bad guy, I mean, just target them, not like... The, the the pub they're going to, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we already talked about was like the modern opinion of reunification. Like people are kind of just tired of it. Is that right? It's pretty close, honestly. Yeah? Uh, I don't know if this is... A, I don't know if this is like what's mostly on people's mind or if it's just <laughs> like, you know, sure, I'll answer the poll. Here's what I think, you know? What I mean is this is their opinion, I guess, but I don't know how important yeah, this opinion yeah. is to them. But the most recent one was 35% yes. But what is yes? Yes to reunification? I assume. Yeah. And then 44% no. So 35% yes, 44% no. So it's like they're... I mean, that's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, some of these within the margin of error are like, yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah. It's interesting in the original Good Friday Agreement, they, you know, they put that in a referendum. Yeah. It was... Like I said, 71% yes. Apparently the turnout was really high, mostly in nationalist areas and way lower in like unionist areas, which, mm. used, you know, they were kind of like, Bleh, we don't like it. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to vote or we're already going to lose. Who cares? You know? Um, and apparently in Northern Ireland, most Catholics in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, which most people supported it. Mm, okay. So it was broadly pop. Uh, that's the thing for me is when you get to, because I totally get why the IRA was doing what it was doing mm-hmm. during the troubles and, and before, like yeah. agitating and everything. Because, I mean, obviously it did have popular support. I mean, so many of those guys were able to operate without getting thrown in prison and stuff and get away and all this. Like, they obviously had popular support. They were, you know, swimming amongst the people, as Mao would say. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. But once you get to that agreement that so many people do support, whatever the flaws may be, it's, I mean, it seems like it's all right to me in terms of like a, a step. Yeah, that's what I would say is like, I, I wouldn't understand if they were still like active now. I would be like, sorry, can you explain why? <laughs> seems like we're okay with it. With continuity or with real IRA. I mean, they're still around. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, most people are in favor of this. At this point, you're just kind of doing your own adventuring thing. Like, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I think that's that's a bad 
approach is when you don't have the popular support, you don't have the popular support. You're wrong. You got to try to convince people or you got to change your stance and do something else. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, What other takeaways do you have? Just that this was a confusing one. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. There are just so many splits and so many, a lot of bloody Sundays. Like if that is a test question, like you'd be like, okay, fuck, is this a trick question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it just kind of goes back to that core dissatisfaction I have with the left is just like how fragmented we easily get. And it's just like very frustrating. I kind of understand in this instance, because it's like you could definitely have people who are like, yeah, I'm for unified Ireland, but I don't really care about the socialism part. But like you could get those people on board by saying, fine, we'll reunify Ireland. And then we can talk about socialism later, you know, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why we couldn't just have a fucking like priorities flow chart or something. (laughs) Yeah. And I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you that we should. In movements like that, we should just say, I mean, even if you want to be ruthless about it and say, We're, we'll just get rid of you later. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> exactly. Like, we'll fight style. about it later. Just, it's fucking fine. Yeah. I mean, team up with anyone on whatever you can, kind of like Seamus Costello said, you know, we'll find common ground with whoever mm-hmm. we need to find common ground with, but we're not going to lie to you, you know, like we'll... And maybe yeah. that's the problem is when you say that, then the other side's like, well, fuck you. Well, you know? never mind. Like, maybe we should have lied. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's That's very frustrating. Yeah. The frustrating thing to me is you read these accounts and everything and you're like, okay, well, yeah, the IRA, like, they killed some people they should not have killed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shouldn't have done that. I don't think that it's a valid criticism to then turn and say, like, Therefore, that whole movement is bullshit. Yeah, I will say going in, like the only thing I knew about the IRA was like they bomb people. And I've, I've basically heard them characterized as like a terrorist group. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I had heard. It's like yeah. then they bombed some shit in the 90s. Like that's what I knew about them. Right. Yeah. And people kind of spin that as like, you know, oh, well, then whoever they support or whatever they support, mm-hmm. you know, is is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing they do with any sort of organization affiliated with like the Palestinian mm. uh, struggle or anything like that is, you know, oh, well, you know, Hamas, they do this or something is fine. Maybe they shouldn't have done that one tactic, but <laughs> I still think that they should be, you know, that Palestinian people should be free. Yeah. And I think the thing is, it's very easy to say, like, yeah, don't use violence. But like, you're not in that situation. Like, yeah, they have a true. fucking like you know, centuries of, of bad blood between them. Mm-hmm. Like, of course they're going to be pissed and like do some shit. Yeah. And they've got the government, like, like not even their, a foreign government backing mm-hmm. up. Like we said, proto fascist, you could argue, you could argue straight up fascist paramilitary groups. Yeah. They are using violence that are going around killing people. You know, they're mobilizing them. They're pitting those people against you. Like, Nobody questions their tactics. Or yeah, something. not a good look. And I mean, people do. I don't want to say, you know, people yeah. qu- question their tactics for sure. But I feel like they, they come down. I haven't heard of the other groups is what I'm going to say. You know, like they don't have a reputation as terrorists or whatever. Yeah, in Ireland they do. I mean, well, in <laughs> Ireland, sure. but I'm saying it's yeah. like they, they weren't like on the world stage for like, look how bad these people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People weren't. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's just the IRA also would step back and say, you know, 
in certain circumstances, like we didn't, you know, mean to do that or that mm-hmm. was a mistake or whatever. You know, you know, got the UDA guys, the UVF guys, you know, apologize. They're the British, you know, <laughs> sorry if we mopped up the floor with you guys. You know. No, I don't think they gave a shit. No, they, they, they it, was, it was part of the plan to get the Irish killing each other mm-hmm. rather than to have themselves so deeply involved in it. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry that it was a confusing one. No. <laughs> No, um, it was just a lot of names that were all very similar, and I'm just very visual, so, like, if I, like, couldn't read them or have them in front of me or something, or, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. it was just very hard for me to keep up and remember who was who, but I think that's mostly on me. (laughs) And on them for splitting so fucking much. Come on, guys, keep it together. That's true, yeah, keep it together, and you might have, you know, double the strength by the time (laughs) you're finished. (laughs) And less confusing names, like the real and the true and the provost or whatever provisional uh, the provos are cool but yeah <laughs> yeah just too many names that's my critique that's fine though <laughs> too many names uh so your star review is two stars two too many stars names. too many names that's, that's the back of the dvd review right here <laughs> <laughs> but they put it on the back of the dvd for some reason yeah they they didn't have a great marketing team <laughs> <laughs> one more note i want to bring up just because, I don't know, I don't want people to take away the wrong thing here. I think it's important to note that the Good Friday Agreement, the current like status quo mm-hmm. in Ireland, has obviously not solved everything, right? Yeah. There's still tons of people who are dissatisfied with it. I mean, the government, we mentioned earlier, like they've passed anti-discrimination measures and stuff, but things aren't like equal in terms of outcomes between Protestants and Catholics there necessarily. Yeah, I mean, even we talked about the self-segregation of it. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a society that's doing that, there's there's something going on. Like, that, that's not ideal. Right, yeah, you don't want that. And, I, yeah, just I don't want people to take away from this, like, oh, yeah, things, like, used to be bad and they used to bomb people, but now things are good. We did it. And, yeah, <laughs> the agreement, I think, was really just kind of to make things, its goal was to make things stable enough, agreeable enough. Mm-hmm. for both sides to step back and to reduce the violence overall. And I mean, it's done that, but it, you know, it, it's goal was never to just to fix the problems. And it definitely has not, you know, just a hundred percent made it to where, Hey, we don't have to worry about imperialism anymore. Hey, we don't have to worry about <laughs> capitalism anymore. You know? Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, Hey, in Ireland, you still got a working class. You've still got people being oppressed by capitalism. It's still being an asshole over the entire island, you know, whether in the 26 counties of the Republic or the six counties of Northern Ireland. I mean, that's still going on. For sure. Yeah. And like there was this kind of alternate path of like James Connolly and stuff that, you know, or Seamus Casello, like mm-hmm. it, it could have gone a totally different direction. So it is, I don't I guess it's like this discrimination or this separation isn't happening like within a vacuum. It's not, it's like one impacts the other, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I guess in that regard, I think that, you know, cause when we look at how things are now, as far as popularity goes, Irish Republican socialism is kind of low, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of low in terms of people who subscribe to it, but I still think it has, it has both of the elements. It has the anti-imperialism. It has the anti-capitalism that is needed to address the problems that face 
Ireland. I think that it's just that we need to get more people, kind of get more people on board with it. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you still do have, I, I'm, maybe we're like underselling the geographic point of this almost like you're on an island that's like relatively small and like a foreign country owns another part of your island. Like that's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. We haven't emphasized as much that it does just make sense for, but you know, it's, it's up to the people there. You know, you don't want to be doing something, you know, you don't want to get out of too far ahead of people and do kind of a left deviation as Mal would call it. But we look at this and we say, ah, man, nobody's a, Republican socialist anymore. It's it's dead. It's over. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, in in the American context, <laughs> we like to talk about the inspirational, you know, kind of history and and the old movements of, you know, how great the communists and the socialists and stuff, the leftist movements in in our history, were, while knowing that like they're kind of not very powerful at all now. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of like this lost history of like yeah we used to have a fucking communist party that you could just join and like mm. and it was we still fine. do it's just weak you know yeah yeah it's effectively non-existent and it is frustrating though to not even have that framework to build off of because right. i think i i feel like a lot of i mean leftists listening to this can understand like it is kind of isolating like you feel like you fucking I don't know. Like you feel like you're crazy sometimes. You're just like, am I the only person that thinks this way? Right. That yeah. that is not on Twitter. You know. You're some victim of foreign propaganda, or you know, just an insane person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and I like what you said about building off of it because it. You know, we have a good example of in the history we've talked about how Sinn Fein was all but dead and mm-hmm. brought back to being this vehicle for advancing the Republican cause in, in much the same way, like here in America or in Ireland, this Republican socialism or just here for us, just plain socialism, plain communist, whatever it is weak, but it's still possible for that to change. Right. I mean, it's still possible for us to like, it's kind of our job to kind of like try to get people back to that and, and kind of a new version of that maybe. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you have a reference point. You don't mm-hmm. have to start at square fucking zero with people like, no, communism isn't evil. Like, you right. Know? You know, I don't have to be like, okay, go listen to these 50 episodes of content and then come back to me. You know, like, it's like you have interacted with these ideas before. Whereas here in the States today, like it is, you're, you're working from square negative a hundred, not just zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, even in our contexts, I mean, we don't have like, we have a lot of figures, I guess, but they're not mm-hmm. necessarily known about, and they're definitely yeah, not, not part taught. of it. <laughs> yeah. And they're definitely not part of like a, a, a big cultural like touchstone for people. Yeah. And like, it, it's one of those things like you really do have to suss people out whenever you say like, I'm a leftist. Like I had someone being like, aren't you mad about all the fake leftists in the white house? And I was like, I wasn't aware there were any fake leftists in the White House, bud. Like, they're not very good at being even fake leftists. Like, like uh, Biden comes out with, like, a tie that has Che Guevara on it or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, are you... Like, we're not even speaking the same language. Like, they're just no, like, what yeah. do you think about Biden? I'm like, I fucking hate them. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's those memes. It's like, oh, I'm pretty far left. What do you think they mean and what they... 
actually yeah, mean. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a whole... It's just like that shift of the Overton window thing. It just feels like we've lost that leftist context where, like, if you say you're a communist, like, people are going to think you're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, or you're just, like, being funny or... Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a communist. You're like, or you're just... You don't have a political position and you're just joking, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I even frame it in, like, yeah, I know it's sci-fi. I want to get there in, like, 500 years. Like... <laughs> because <laughs> you know? i'll be like, i'm not a practicing communist like i'm ideally that's what i want but i understand we'll have to do some shit in between like yeah so, sometimes yeah. i'll just say that just to head them off yeah, yeah yeah i get you but we we digress of course yeah no that's what we do <laughs> that is kind of our thing <laughs> yeah i guess it's just i'm trying to make a clear connection between these movements and like the leftist cause and like i see a few players in it that clearly connected those ideals in their campaigns but like it feels like the overall narrative was just about like just geography i think to maybe like an outside view but like if you actually look at it there's much more like leftism in there than you would think yeah that's a good way to put it the mainstream interpretation of this is really glosses over the irish national liberation army the official ira any, you know, and over time, you know, the provisional IRA, especially once the hunger strike start going on. And I mean, those guys were reading Marxist texts. Those guys were like, basically the prison strike was kind of pushing the provisional IRA leftward. Yeah. Know? And so, and, and people don't think about that. They're just like, these were guys who were, you know, willing to do whatever necessary to unite their country, but they don't add that other, the socialist part, which... Mm-hmm. You know, as leftists in America, we're kind of familiar with that whole like, <laughs> feeling of, like you were saying, are we crazy in seeing this, the, you know, knowing about these other things? Yeah, it feels like there are just two histories, you know. Mm-hmm. But do you think the opposition to the unification movement was kind of fueled by, like, fear of socialism? Do you think, because, I mean, I think if you just left it at, like, yeah, you can have your fucking island back. Like, I don't give a shit. But, like, if you have this movement of people who are leftists, like, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> For most people in power, they would see that as dangerous. I imagine there was some element of it. If you think about the social the social factors or, like, the, the economic factors, you know, the Protestant ruling class was, I mean, they were the ruling class, you mm-hmm. know? Like, so they were, they knew that there was probably going to be if they were you know reunified there was going to be some redistribution i mean even a social democratic sort of way yeah there would have you know there would have to be if it were a democratic (laughs) if it was run by the people the majority of them you wouldn't just let them oh it's fine you can continue to be our overlords you know (laughs) yeah and i imagine that's very scary to the uk who has a you know gigantic dominion i'm not sure on their whole commonwealths at that point in time but, I mean, like, still, they, they have a shockingly large number of territories, as does the United States. Yeah. But being able to see a place that was, like, formerly part of the UK go socialist is probably a very scary notion to the UK as, like, a world power. Because yeah. then they could get their citizens being like, wait, why can't we have health care? Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> Interesting. So that's almost like a... Almost like a like a Cuba level threat, you know? They were worried. <laughs> like, we're going to have right on our shores this red island... It could be. I mean, I'm just wondering, yeah, because I I don't super understand Britain's, like, motivation to keep Northern Ireland, like, they have a 
They have like the whole island's made of gold, guys. Like we need it. Like, you know, I mean, it's imperialism. It's and that's a uh, I think that's a big part of it, too, that we are maybe not making a great point about. We haven't been so far is that the struggle against imperialism is the struggle against capitalism, right? Like Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we should support them, whether or not they're going to openly campaign ahead of time and say we're doing socialism or who can predict whether they're actually going to do something socialist or not when they're, but we should still be supporting groups that are fighting against countries that are doing imperialism. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, it's imperialism. I think, I think to me, I think when we talk about imperialism, it is often in the context of race. And so I think that's why this one is harder. Cause it's like, I don't see any Brown people being exploited. Mm, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I don't see any people, you know, working in rare earth minerals or whatever. And right. So this is more of a case of like, they're still, they're exploiting a population. They're exploiting like Catholics in the population by having like Protestants who make all the money and like make them do labor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's under British authority. It's just like, it's maybe not as obvious as saying like, okay, yeah, Guam, that's an example of like colonialism and imperialism. You right. Know? Yeah. Like we mentioned in our part one episode, you know, the, the, the project, the, the British project of imperialism in Ireland was just their first foray in it. And it's, so far back that right we don't even yeah. think about them as as a colonized people but that's how are. northern ireland even happened like that's why there are so many protestants there is because they kicked all the catholics out and took their land yeah yeah so it, yeah it's important to tie it back to that context because i think it is it's a lot harder to see i don't know quote unquote classic colonial narrative of like right. Yeah, it was because some um, Spanish guy, you know, quote unquote, found an island and then started exploiting people like this. Mm-hmm. This happened that way. It just was yes. a long fucking time ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's that's another thing we uh, hope we bring out in this episode. Yeah. And just because it was a long time ago doesn't mean like it's cool now. Like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm still going to I'm going to go to my fucking grave angry at the fucking, you know, Spaniards. So like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you killed my ancestors. I'm allowed to be mad forever. So, like, these people are allowed to be mad forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we said, the problems haven't all been fixed, or even the majority of them haven't been fixed. And and, and to the extent that anything's been improved, capitalism's still in operation even in the Republic of Ireland. I mean, so Mm -hmm. there's still exploitation that needs to be fought. Reunification, you know, should be part of that. But, I mean, there are two fights that could go hand in hand. I think... So many times we end on kind of a, a you know a downer note, <laughs> but like it's I think what we've talked about here is like we said things you can kind of tie back to as we're talking about how we can work to build a better world, right? They're kind of tools that we can use, ideas that we can use, and fuse with our new like situation. Yeah, yeah. I think talking about how it all comes back to imperialism. Like you can apply that like almost fucking anywhere. Like, you know, like think about native Americans, like that was imperialism guys, you know, like it, it is not just a purely Latin American thing. It's not purely like an African thing. Like basically everywhere white people has, they've really like exploiting people guys. Yeah. So it's not just in the global South. Like you can domestically do that too. And, and, or like with fucking Palestine, like that's mm-hmm. in the news right now. Like that is fucking imperialism. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how the mainstream media is going to say. I've already seen some bad takes. <laughs> talk all about the crimes of the of Hamas and 
the Palestinians and what they've done that's terrible. And, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, the Israelis did a little strike here or there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And we still managed to bring it down, huh? Thanks, yeah. I had us <laughs> going on a lofty note of um, building a better world, demanding the earth. Uh, but, yeah, go out there, spread the good word of communism. Fuck yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Make it less weird. Be be the proselytizer we need in the world. <laughs> yeah, speak in everyday words. That's what people liked about James Connolly. That's what people liked about Seamus Costello. They spoke to everyday people because they were everyday people. You know, don't be a nerd unless you're talking to a nerd. Yeah, then, then you know? yeah, they're going to fucking love you <laughs> and you have a new best friend. But I think you've said this once, which is like, it's kind of like you have to choose when to not bring it up because it all it yeah. all comes back to it, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes you seem like a nut again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We've covered a lot. And we didn't cover a lot also. So, like, again, left out a ton. Yeah. But, hey. We got there. That's where we're at. <laughs> what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to watch a movie. Yes. I love those because they're easier. <laughs> I know. So, like, it's getting closer to the end of the year. Oh, great. We get to watch a movie today. We're doing nothing. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a documentary. Oh, it's still work. I love doing that to the kids, man. They come in, they're like, oh, yeah, we're watching a movie. The TV's yeah. out. Yeah, and then it's like, it just, it's a history, you know, it's just it's some history documentary. Do they have to take I've notes? Got. I'm not usually that much of a dick. Okay, I, sometimes I'll give them a question or two spread mm. throughout to have to answer, but. Mm, okay. But you can always just cheat on that and be like, hey, what was that? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Either way, you had to bother writing it down. So That's true. I inconvenienced you, and that's my job. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're going to be watching a documentary called Manufacturing Consent, Noam Chomsky and the Media. I've heard really good things about this, so I'm excited. It's cool. It's based on a book, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, it's pretty faithful to it. It's old. It's from 1992. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Yeah, it kind of delves into some of Noam Chomsky's work and his life and stuff, but also about politics and especially about the media. Cool. That sounds right up my alley. I also love 90s graphics, so I'm very excited. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun watch. If you're doing a little prep work ahead of time, listeners, you can find it on YouTube. Just Google it, Manufacturing Consent. Noam Chomsky in the media. Nice. Freebie. Yep. Okay. In the meantime, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Are you sensing a theme here? <laughs> but that's where you can go to send us questions or suggestions for future episodes. If you're Irish and you want to tell us about why we were dumb on this episode, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. If, yeah. if you were dumb, let us know. I'd love to learn more. I feel like I did a lot of research for this and still only scratched the surface. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we just, we're not taught this shit. So like, yeah, we are learning. Yeah. You can and should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help people find the show. You do not have to be an Apple user to leave a review. You can just like do it. Please do that. Yes, it's great for our vanity Mm -hmm. Mainly Christine's vanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) 
we have a YouTube, if that's your preferred podcast listening method. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For $5 a month, you get access to our notes. And this time it'll be Grady's, including beautiful genealogy charts of all these yes. fucking splits in the parties. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I got the I got the family tree for the IRA and for <laughs> Sinn Féin. So. Nice. Yeah. And with that, you'll also get access to the backlog, which is very useful. I probably should have looked at that before doing this episode, but I didn't. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. And at the end of the year, those proceeds will go to a local mutual aid fund. Like we got a pretty decent chunk of change in there. So I'm excited about, you know, getting right. to, we might even split it across a few organizations. We'll see. Sweet. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all the internet. Sounded like all of it. All right. Uh, thank you for being a good sport and a great student. <laughs> oh, no, thank you for teaching me. I'm sorry if you felt like I was being harsh on your, your teaching style. It was just a lot. And like, I think I probably should have taken notes, but like, it's fine. That's my fault, not yours. <laughs> That's all right. No, it's it was a lot. You're right. I have just I did a I did a good chunk of this research like the last time before and then like oh yeah re-researched this so i'm <laughs> steeped in it yeah you just <laughs> fucking know this <laughs> uh yeah you know well enough to answer some questions <laughs> uh but it was fun and this one came from a listener suggestion right it did yeah so um, thanks to yeah someone reached out on twitter or just dm'd us was like hey would you ever consider doing this and we we're like yeah we'll move it up the list so like if you have suggestions we literally highlight those in a different color in our doc so we know what to prioritize so you you are heard you are seen and heard and validated here at teach me communism <laughs> yes so thank you to them for that suggestion this was fascinating to learn about yeah and thank you listeners for tuning in you guys can catch us next week on another episode of teach me communism where the class struggle is always in session bye y'all goodbye <laughs>